0: What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the hoodad dad stuff?
1: The dad, You know, that's really kind of a, a fan, you know, that's that's our, our
0: our champ. Welcome back to the Duncan Holder Podcast. This is the third edition of our resurrected podcast. Uh want to welcome you back into the program. It's going to be a little different one today. I'm your host, Jeff Duncan. You probably recognize my voice, but not in the host seat that usually is reserved for my cohort in crime, Larry Holder, who's off this week. Much deserved week off for Larry, and he will be back with us next week. But in the meantime, I'm driving the ship, and I'm very happy to be joined by another athletic colleague of mine. Catherine Terrell is going to fill in, I'm sure quite ably for Larry Holder. Welcome, Catherine. I believe this is a multiple-time appearance for you on Duncan Holder.
1: Jeff, I haven't been on in a while, and I haven't been on with just you in a while, so I'm just going to submit this proposal again that we change this podcast name to Duncan Peril. I think it's got a better to it. And-
0: uh, that could possibly work. I'm not sure Holder will go for that. He's probably got some kind of copyright. Yeah, uh clause he's probably got an attorney involved we may uh we may have to talk to our executive producer Jennifer Armstrong to see if we're willing to fight that battle but i'd be i'd be on your side on that
1: that's okay we'll just shelve it for a few weeks until larry comes back we'll we'll discuss it later but i am excited to be back on the podcast i don't think we've talked on the podcast together since uh, probably may and a lot has happened since then um a lot has happened in the last few weeks right i don't know maybe slow maybe slow news week i don't know but uh Let's yeah, well,
0: you, look, you come on and the team's in the middle of like a, you know, a zenith as far as winning, with the team being, of course, the New Orleans Saints, and that's who we're going to take a deep dive into today. Of course, that's who Catherine covers for us here at The Athletic, and she's uh, heavily involved in our daily coverage, certainly much more than Larry and I are. Uh, so we're going to tap into her knowledge on the team, uh, take a deep dive into where this team stands 10 games into the season. And, of course, we're going to discuss Taysom Hill. What else is there to discuss right now? Uh, the polarizing backup quarterback for the Saints, got his first start, and we're going to kind of evaluate how he did. And I think we might find a little bit of a change in tune from Catherine Terrell about how Taysom performed.
1: Um, I don't know about that. I feel like I've, I've always been pro-Taysom, right, Jeff? I mean, I've just said it so many times over the
0: you weren't the only skeptic out there, let's face it. Uh, there was a lot of people on both sides. It was almost like a political debate, you know. I, I don't think I've ever come across anything quite like that. I mean, he's a very polarizing player, which is interesting because, I mean, I think you would agree, at least in this regard. I mean, he's like one of the nicest guys in the world. So it's it's funny he's such a polarizing player because he's genuinely a nice guy that people, if they met him, would probably want their daughters to marry. <laughs>
1: Well, I think he's already
0: spoken for,
1: but you are right. And Sean Payton mentioned it yesterday Uh, when he was talking to the media on his Monday conference. He was saying it was just so interesting how a lot of people were sure, sure it was going to be Jameis Winston starting and and not Taysom. And he said, well, I mean, those people don't want to be wrong. So when Taysom comes in and he plays just fine, everyone refuses to change their tune on him because it goes back to the, well, they thought it should have been Winston. And it, he has been so polarizing since I, I said this in my story for the athletic yesterday, since the moment he signed that contract back in April, it, it's so interesting how door for everyone in the NFL world to kind of opine as to whether that contract should have been signed. And as you said, I, I admit it. I mean, and I was very skeptical of, of how Hill was going to play. I didn't think he had a great training camp, but there was always that intrigue factor there. What were we going to get on Sunday? And um, it was it was definitely interesting, and I'm excited to see. Yeah, you're more. right.
0: It, it almost felt like uh, you know, in, in politics, where people pick their candidate of choice, and then they just dig in. I mean, that's who they're for, and they don't exactly. care one way or the other. I mean, we saw that in the last presidential election for sure, and it feel, feels like that with uh, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, which I think I think if there were another quarterback besides someone uh, as credentialed as Jameis Winston, somebody that has that pedigree, it might be different. You know, if this were maybe Luke McCown that was kind of a, a journeyman guy, I'm sorry to bring up Luke McCown, uh, you know, but uh, he – because Jameis Winston was the former number one pick in the draft – He's got a lot of people that believe, hey, maybe the Saints can tap into that potential. Uh, So I do think that adds a little bit of a different dynamic to it. But uh, I I kind of feel like if Jameis Winston would have played, they probably would have won the game, too. They'd had a game plan, uh, you know, devoted to him and his skill set. And this team's so good in every other phase that really all you have to do at quarterback is just make a few plays and not screw up. And you're going to win with the way this team's playing right now, right?
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that Winston would have won the game as well Uh, if he uh, managed the turnovers. That would have been the only difference just because we know that Winston is more liable to maybe take a few riskier shots. But it comes down to Peyton is so good at putting players in the position where they need to be put, to game planning around his players and elevating their skill set. I mean, last year you saw this with Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, yeah, the offense was a little compromised when Bridgewater came in, but they managed to game plan around him. They figured out what would work for him, and they went undefeated. And and now you're looking at a totally different situation a year later, a different quarterback, and they're still winning. And I think it's because the Saints have this ability not only to do that, but around this time of the year, they kind of start to to peak and play their best, and that's exactly what you want, your team to be playing the best, going into December. I mean, and just look at how the defense is playing a few weeks ago. We were wondering if the secondary could ever figure it out. I mean, and now all of a sudden, for the most part, they're playing very well. And
0: yeah, I think people made the mistake and often do make this mistake of looking at Taysom Hill, uh, what he was playing, like the cameo role as a gadget player and seeing him come in for one play and then making a determination when uh, it's a totally different role when he's the starting quarterback and they have a week to prepare. And I, and I think not only is it Sean Payton, but what also has to be factored in here is this veteran offensive staff. I mean, Pete Carmichael, Curtis Johnson, Joe Lombardi, these guys have all been together for a decade and a half for the most part. And they just have, it's a very unique situation. There's really nothing like it in the NFL. And that depth of knowledge and experience – I think pays off for the Saints when they have to fill in with different players the way they did with Mike Thomas earlier this year, the way they did for Breeze last year. Uh, That is something that I don't think people take into account what goes on behind closed doors with that staff and how they're able to, as you say, play to a player's strengths. And uh, they certainly did that with Taysom Hill. I mean, he really didn't run the ball in any designed runs until the second half. I mean, they kind of wanted to keep him, I think, healthy. And that's, I think another thing down the road, if he becomes the guy, they're going to have to uh, figure out because you can't have him running all the time. But that's part of what makes him good, right? I mean, that touchdown he scored in the second half—there was nothing there. It was a pass design, pass play, and he just runs, scrambles around the end, and beats three defenders to the sideline and gets in the end zone on a play that—that that, uh, you know really was designed for something else. That's the kind of intriguing. Uh, make something out of nothing potential that he has that the Saints coaches see. And in this day and age where there's so many great athletes on the field, uh, that's becoming a more valued trait than ever uh, because the game's changed so much.
1: Absolutely. I I remember on Sunday when he started that run you were talking about, It was like, oh, there's nothing there. He's not going to be able to make anything out of it. He turned the corner so fast. I mean, he had three tacklers just kind of dragging behind him. I mean, Some receivers couldn't turn the corner that fast. I think we forget how how fast he is. And I always wondered, if you make Taysom the quarterback, does he lose what makes him special? Just like you said, because when I covered the Bengals for ESPN, Marvin Lewis always used to say, running quarterbacks always get hurt. They all get hurt eventually. And he has had his share of injuries in college. So it's something they're going to have to figure out and manage, but not right now. I mean, right now, just kind of – Put him in the best spots, just like we said, and kind of see what he can do. And maybe for the next two weeks, maybe for the next four weeks. I don't know how long it's going to be before Brees gets back, probably sooner rather than later, knowing him. But, I mean, yeah, he, he's going to keep surprising people, I think. I think they just forget. This guy is actually really fast and really athletic. You would think people wouldn't forget. It goes by the wayside sometimes.
0: Yeah, and I think we have to credit Peyton and his staff, too, because like, yeah. uh, you know, let's face it, uh, those guys have a proven track record of, of showing uh, that they can plug in players and their offense is going to be successful. Now, it helps when the defense is playing the way it is right now. Uh, you alluded to it earlier. I mean, they are playing lights out. And this is the second time they've played against what I would consider to be a good veteran quarterback, Tom Brady, three weeks ago. Uh, and then Matt Ryan on Sunday where they really shut down a capable offense. Uh, You know, I I don't get impressed anymore when you go against Nick Mullins and a bunch of backups and you shut them down or Nick Foles and that pedestrian offense in Chicago. But when you do it to guys like Matt Ryan and Tom Brady, that opens my eyes because uh, those are credentialed quarterbacks in this league and they have big-time weapons on the outside. Obviously, it helped that Julio Jones uh, went down early. But uh, the fact that the Saints did this without Marshawn Lattimore in the lineup, uh, to me, uh, if I'm Taysom Hill, I'm just trying to not mess up, get a few touchdowns on the board, because the way the defense is playing, uh, you know, 20 points, 24 points is going to be enough to get a win.
1: Yeah, and the way the defensive line played, I mean, by far the best we've seen them all season. It's, it's almost as if they're finally coming together. I don't know if this is – I hate saying – breakthrough moment of the season for Cam Jordan. I mean, Cam Jordan is Cam Jordan, but man, he was just on fire the other night and it's it's it kind of taken a while for him to get to this point and I think part of that is because of the rest of the pass rush was kind of still catching up and teams just focused all their energy on Cam. And, and once Trey Hendrickson started to merge, I think things started to change. But I mean, defensive line played great. Linebackers played well. Secondary played great. The really only um, obvious error was Janoris Jenkins falling down on that big pass play. I can't really think of any other huge mistakes they made Yeah, they had a few
0: ticky-tack, like, holding calls, uh, you know, but that's going to happen with the Saints. That's the way they play in the secondary. Uh, They're going to live and die with those, and and hopefully the aggressiveness pays off in the long run. But I thought it was another good game for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I thought Quan Alexander flashed again. Uh, You know, they've made these incremental – improvements over the last year and I think it's important to note like their core defensive players have all been there the tent poles are are, are Cam Jordan uh you know Marshawn Lattimore Demario Davis but incrementally they've improved all the other positions you know last year going and getting Janoris Jenkins who was an upgrade over Eli Apple uh you know getting Quan Alexander this year in a trade who appears to be an upgrade over Alex Anzalone it's like they've They've made these little improvements at the supporting positions that have made this defense better. And I think those kind of subtle moves have paid off, uh, even with Malcolm Jenkins, who started slowly but is really starting to play well now as well. You can see why they went after him. Uh, This defense, I think, is legit on all three levels, and I don't think you could could have said that in the past. And yes, look, when they play Patrick Mahomes in a few weeks, I'm sure he's going to put up his share points, but he does that to everybody. Uh, and this team, I think, uh, is starting to play with confidence and swagger on defense that they didn't have, certainly, uh, earlier this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, even take Patrick Robinson, for example. I mean, I know he's had a, a weird career, and sometimes he just his play makes you want to pull your hair out. But in his role as a backup, when he can come in for a short amount of time, I, I think that they, they have a ton of confidence in him and he can play within himself. I mean, he was actually fine. I mean, against a compromised Julio Jones, but still he played fine. Yeah. You don't want him playing for an extended period of time, but I mean, it's just like you said, the saints look at their backups and manage harder. So this team is, it's pretty deep. I mean, this deep line is deep. Um am just thinking top to bottom. There's, really not too many holes right now with the way they're playing. And I'm not trying to, um, I guess, take too much out of one game, but I think this all goes back to, to Tampa and a little bit back to Chicago um, with how they've been playing. Yeah, you know, there was a point, point
0: in the game yesterday when I was doing my film review or the game on Sunday. I was watching the replay yesterday where the Saints were, were just getting after the Falcons' offensive line – uh, you know, really turning back their ears. And I looked at the lineup that the Saints had on the field. They had Marcus Davenport at one end, Carl Granderson at the other end. Uh, Shai Tuttle and Ryan Glasgow were the two defensive tackles. So we're, we're basically talking about the entire number two defensive line for that game. Uh, a couple of guys like Carl Granderson uh, and Shai Tuttle who were undrafted free agents. And Ryan Glasgow, a guy they just picked up like 10 days ago. And they dominated the Falcons' starting offensive line. I mean, they just completely stoned them, dropped Todd Gurley for a loss. And I thought, my goodness, I can't remember the Saints ever having this kind of depth along the defensive line. And they just showed in that game that uh, and it was pretty distinct uh, difference. It, when Matt Ryan dropped back and he had time, he found guys downfield. He was able to, to make some plays. But when he didn't have time, which was most of the time, he was under duress and just looked – he looked downright bad at times. And it just shows you what pressure does, even to good quarterbacks like Matt Ryan. And so if the Saints can continue this, this rotation uh, in that game Sunday, they didn't have – obviously Sheldon Rankins has been out. They didn't have Malcolm Roach, who they're very high on. That's two more defensive linemen in the mix. I, I just don't think they've ever been this good and talented and deep – along the defensive line and and it's it's a staggering contrast when you look around the league uh, no one's got this kind of depth up front the way the Saints do
1: well, I feel like we said this back in August we deep and everyone was saying now I mean if they're so deep why did they have to go get clowny they have holes there But I think it was just a matter of having patience and waiting it out as they kind of figured it out and and developed and Davenport came back. Because I thought in the summer, I thought this is a really talented defensive line. I mean, Roach came out of nowhere and and he's played well. I mean, they have this ability to to find these guys. I mean, actually, I think Glasgow is actually a a good player. Um, I covered him when I was with the Bengals. He just kind of had these knee problems that kind of spun his career off track. If that hadn't happened, I, I don't know where he would be but yeah I mean I think they're, they're just now showing that potential we saw a few months ago but again that goes back to this is what you want you don't want them showing that potential in August necessarily you want them doing it or playing up to it in December um so it, it's it's an interesting watch but yeah Glasgow I mean just came in literally last week and the guy I don't know how many snaps he played but I felt like he was on the field all the time
0: yeah he well he played 14 snaps he had three tackles that's it
1: wow I thought it was more than that
0: yeah but but the first uh I think the first snap he was in he he made a tackle for like a, a short gain and then he had another play where I mean he just ragdolled Chris Lindstrom their their right guard who's a good player I mean he was a high draft pick and Glasgow just destroyed him and made a stop on Gurley Gurley was lucky to get back to the line of scrimmage uh, he impressed me, like you said. I mean, he was—I think—a fourth-round draft pick. So it's a guy that was pretty well thought of coming out of college, and it speaks to Terry Fontenot and, and his staff. Uh, that's what they do—they go find these guys when they're a little short. They know—they know Malcolm Roach is banged up. They know Rankins is—you uh, know—on the shelf. So they go find a guy like Glasgow and are able to plug him in and get some production out of him in a pinch. And that, to me, has been one of the the biggest improvements in the Sean Payton era's. How much better they are at finding depth, you know, getting these guys like a Jameis Winston to come in at a market rate, you know, low rate, Teddy Bridgewater, and they've got insurance when their key guys go down. I mean, we see it around the league and uh, every Sunday when the Saints play. You mentioned Patrick Robinson. I mean, they've got enough depth to where guys come in and and the ship doesn't sink. You know, they play fine, and it's this collective strength around them that I think kind of props them up and it goes back to the coaching and the whole organization they just really are clicking on all cylinders right now and personnel acquisition and then the the improvement that the defensive coaching staff has made since the start of the season till now has been staggering
1: yeah and it shows in that the Saints are in a great spot right now <laughs> I say great spot maybe that's an understatement they're the number one seed in the NFC right now uh, but this is what where it gets tough, I think. This the stretch has always been looked at as the toughest part of the season and and now they don't have breeze. They got three straight road games. Then they play the Vikings. This is kind of the stretch I think coming up here that we're really gonna see what they're made of. And it's not as tough as I thought it might have been a few months ago, but like you said, they still have to play the Chiefs. They have to go on the road to Denver this weekend where they haven't won since nineteen ninety four. So hey, if they if they keep playing this way they're going to be fine, but I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see how they're going to handle the, the final quarter of the season, which, by the way, I can't believe we're already at this spot. I mean, yeah. it's crazy how fast it's flown by.
0: Yeah, and look, I'm looking at the Denver weather forecast Sunday, high of 46, low of 28, so it's probably a good idea you're not going catch. Cause, uh <laughs> not that uh, That would bad. be a little chilly. A little chilly someone,
1: actually, someone actually sent me a picture uh, today of their house in Denver, and it was just covered in snow meanwhile we're just here in new orleans and enjoying the (laughs) what is it today 65 degrees.
0: yeah i don't i don't i don't don't miss that um and you mentioned about how they haven't won there in a long time i mean this is the one team that sean payton has not beaten uh, since he's taken over as saints head coach uh they're oh and three drew Brees. i know he's not playing this game but he was two and eight against the broncos this is a team they've struggled against And it does have the feel, we always talk about these trap games, but it has the feel of a trap game to me just because it's a team you don't play very often. You're going out, playing them on the road, outdoors. Uh, But if there's ever a game that Taysom Hill should feel comfortable in, it should be this one, right? I mean, he played at Brigham Young. They played outdoors, uh, you know, in the same neck of the woods geographically. Uh, You know, I think this is the kind of game built for him if you want to run the ball and – take advantage of his running ability. Maybe we see a little more of that wildcat with Alvin Kamara. So in some ways, I think I think they can get through this uh, as long as they just don't throw in that proverbial clunker that they throw in seemingly once a year.
1: You know, I honestly thought the clunker was going to be against the Falcons this week. I actually predicted them to lose only because I thought maybe all those injuries catch up to them. I mean, it would have made sense. It would have been understandable if they lost. So I don't even know if clunker is the right term Um, But, hey, you know, they didn't. But this one is is interesting. I I don't know that you can call it a trap game just because when you don't have your starting quarterback, I don't think anyone can really relax. But it is one of those games, as you were alluding to, that it would set up perfectly for the Saints to to lose. And yet, I mean, I don't know. I I would pick them to win this one. I I can just see them kind of continuing on those – this role they have going. And um, I didn't even think about the fact that Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill is used to playing in situations like starting quarterback. I, I didn't even consider it until you did that.
0: Yeah. Pocatello, Idaho boy, I'm sure in high school, right. He played, played in some right. cold weather games. And so like, look, I got some stats for you. This is pretty striking. This is going to be in my, my piece on Friday in the athletics. So a little sneak preview for our listeners But it it really does put it into – illustrates just how far the Saints' defense has come. Okay, the first five games of the season, they allowed 30 points per game, 337 yards per game, and 100 rushing yards per game uh, on average in those first five games. The second five – so we have a perfect line of delineation here – They have allowed 14.4 points per game, 267 yards per game, and 48 rushing yards per game, half of what they were allowing. Those three totals all lead the NFL, uh, yards, points per game, and rushing yards per game. So they're not only improving. I mean, they're playing better than any other defense in the league right now, and it's not always against inferior offenses. I mean, like we said, Tom Brady, who also struggled again last night against the Rams – uh, and uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who can put up points on just about anybody, they shut those guys down as well. So I think we really have to look back at that bye week. It was after five games of the season. And remember Sean Payton said, we're not going home. Our coaches, nobody's taking time off. We're going to figure out what's wrong with this team, especially defensively. And I'm trying to find out what went on in those in those meetings that week because I think that would made a huge difference in this team because clearly the defense has been – a different unit, uh, since the bye week.
1: Well, now Jeff, I'm going to need you to, to find out and get this story. I mean, I read that. Yeah. I'd love to know that actually, uh, reminds me to like years back when, uh, the defense was playing really poorly under Rob Ryan and didn't Peyton say something like he sat in his office and ate gummy bears yeah. for several days, uh, while trying to figure this thing out. And, I don't know if they figured that one out, but uh, clearly they have figured uh, this one out. And um, as we were talking about, they're going to need it when uh, Patrick Mahomes comes to town in a few weeks. Hey, Breeze could be back by that point. Maybe maybe we do see Breeze and Mahomes, just like we we talked
0: about. Yeah, that would uh, be, be great, wouldn't that'd it? That would be cool. A great matchup. I mean, the fact we, we already saw Breeze and, and Rodgers, and we've seen him against Brady now. And I definitely think he's going to be back. I mean, I was told last week that they're really – Optimistic about him getting back uh, ahead of his timetable. I think it's going to be, he's going to be out three weeks, the IR designation, which would take him out through the Falcons game after this Broncos game. And then I think he'll be back for the Eagles game uh, on the road. And the Eagles are really a mess right now. Uh, That game looked like a tough one when the season started. And now it doesn't look nearly as tough. Carson Wentz is under siege in Philadelphia. So this stretch right now looked tougher i think when the season started and now that we're looking back it really was that opening stretch when you think about it i mean the raiders are a pretty tough out right now uh, obviously the packers uh, are playing have been playing very well uh, that early season stretch looks to me like that was going to be the most difficult part at least as far as top quarterback play uh, you know and that, I, I think that's how the league goes right now if you have a quarterback you can have a chance to make a deep playoff run and maybe win a super bowl if you're searching for a quarterback, you know, it's the haves and haves not, have nots. And uh, it's playing out this this way this season because uh, uh, some of these teams are struggling, some of them because of injury, but others, you can already tell, are trying to get in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes for next season. Um, well, let, let me ask you about this, because this is something that we haven't talked about really publicly, I don't think, or on the podcast, but... Let's switch our attention to special teams real quick, which has been a strength for this team. Obviously, Deontay Harris went out last week with a with a stinger. I thought Callaway kind of filled in pretty pretty capably there. But what's up with Thomas Morstead? What do you think? I mean, it looks to me like he's having the worst year of his career, numbers-wise, and he just doesn't look like the same guy all of a sudden. And I'm wondering if that's why the Saints coaches had the other punter in camp and put him basically on, on a redshirt season this year – because they must have seen something in Morstead, which I don't think any of us saw coming into this season.
1: I think that's exactly why. And at the time, I think I even wrote, like Thomas Morstead is, is going to be just fine. Like he's not done yet, but it was such an unusual move. Teams don't do that. I mean, not unless there's something there. And as I start to think about it, it all adds up. Morstead's been on this like crazy workout routine. If you – him at practice he's always on the sidelines doing something he like has like a six pack and I wonder if he started doing all that because he felt I mean father time is creeping in on me and this the coaches saw something too I think teams are always looking to replace specialists if they make a lot of money I mean that's a given well next year they have a bad cap situation Morstead's going to be expensive he's not punting well I think this is probably it for him as much as you hate to see that and he, he's such a great guy and we've loved covering him but I don't know at this point in the season I don't even think a turnaround would, would really help I mean I, I don't know what you think but I, I do think all the signs point towards the inevitable
0: well yeah the fact that they have a, a, a capable replacement right I mean they got a guy that right, they, he's
1: got a good leg
0: right the guy that they feel good about That's that really is ominous if you're Thomas Morstead because it's not like they're uh, turning to uh, someone that they don't feel good about. But, man, his numbers are just way down. I mean, it's staggering to me how far down they are. I'm looking at it right now. Last year, he his average was 46.2 yards a punt. His net average, 43.1. And this year, it's all the way down to 41.3 average, 39.7 net. I mean, that's like down in the teens around the league, and he's routinely ranked in the top five in the league in punting uh, almost every year. He's been one of the most consistent players on the team. So it is a little uh, interesting. And I think this week, you know, they go to Denver. You're going to be playing outdoors. You know, obviously you got altitude, but cold weather. Uh, could be one of those field position games. And so that's when he comes into play. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out with him because I do think uh, uh, that was an interesting kind of development. This is the one guy I can think of this year – Maybe Cam Jordan you'd throw into the mix. That's really dropped off uh, in his performance compared to past years. And uh, look, it happens when you get up there in age, especially at this level, where just a slight uh, decrease in your in your athleticism or your you know your production, and uh, you could be out the door very quickly. So we'll see. Uh, let me get one last thing from you, Cap, before we uh, sign off here. You mentioned. You think the Saints are going to be okay. I want to put you on the spot here. The next, the next three games going into that Chiefs kind of gauge game, you've got Atlanta after this week in, in Atlanta, which is always a little bit more difficult, and then you got Philadelphia on the road. Can they get through this three-game stretch unscathed and, and go into Kansas City here at the Dome with just uh, two losses?
1: No, I think they lose one of them. I think they go two and one. I don't know which one it is, but I think three-game road stretch, that's tough for any team. A lot of outside factors right now just making it pretty stressful to be traveling. Denver by field goal. Maybe I just say that because I predicted at the beginning of the season Will Lutz could set maybe the NFL record for a field goal in Denver. That's where it's always been set before for the most part. Um, maybe they throw the clunker to, to Philly. I don't know. What do you think?
0: You know, I th- I, I'm not going to pick against them right now. You know, they're, Smart. Just play- yeah, they're playing too well. I mean, three games in a row, I think they've won by double digits. And defensively, they're good. I, I think they could easily throw in a clunker. It is the NFL. But if they get Breeze back for Philly, uh, you know, the way he was playing, I mean, he was playing very well, too. And I think he knows exactly how to play in this offense. You know, this offense isn't the dominant uh, group it was back in the day. But now that they got Mike Thomas back, Alvin Kamara's healthy, having a breakout year. Uh, They're getting production from a bunch of, like, supporting cast guys, like we always see. All of a sudden, Adam Troutman's making plays where he's the primary receiver, tight end. I mean, I think Latavius Murray's playing really well. He he doesn't get enough touches to some degree. But um, the the other thing they've got going for them, and we've talked about this a little bit, is – all their injuries that they've had, none of them are like season ending for the most part. I mean, none of their key players is in jeopardy of missing the season. And that's huge. I mean, you look around the league, I I don't know if there's any team as healthy as the Saints, relatively speaking. Uh, They get these injuries like Lattimore, but they're out for a game or two and they get them back. uh, And that's just not the case in this league. So they've done a really good job of Managing the virus, as we said, they've what lost one player all year to, to COVID related absence, and injuries have kind of gone their way this year. Uh, so, this could be the stars lining up for the Saints to make a deep run. I don't want to hex them, but it seems like it's kind of the, the thing, almost like the slow start, it played into things. Like they didn't peak too early. They're kind of ascending right now, as you said, like late November entering December right right kind of when you want to
1: don't jinx them Jeff I'm certainly not going to since everyone always refers to me as the curse or or whatnot Hmm. but I do think that things are aligning in a way that it makes it look like the Saints have this ability to make a run and hey no one else in the NFC is is really out there claiming their stake as the best team in the NFL I mean are the best team in the NFC? I mean, that's the Saints yeah. are actually. <laughs> the Saints are the ones doing that. Um, so, hey, I, I don't know. We'll see, but it does seem like the arrow's pointing up for them.
0: I think you'd have to say they're the best team in the NFC right now for uh, sure. Yes, I mean, I know they got the best record, but they're playing better than anybody else, and that's good news as uh, we head into Thanksgiving for the holidays. And uh, the Saints have shown in the past that uh, this is kind of when they start taking off. Uh, so, look, we'll be back again next week. With Larry Holder, I'm sure Sir Lawrence will be off his vacation. I don't know where he's at. He's probably down in the Canary Islands or something with an umbrella drink or something. Uh, Hopefully, we get him back in the saddle next week uh, for the fourth edition of the Resurrected Duncan Holder Podcast. And if you're out there, you're enjoying the podcast, uh, rate us, review us, make sure you subscribe. Uh, We could always use the followers as well. And uh, Larry and I will be back next week. uh, Tuesday, I think it is, we record and we'll be reviewing the Broncos game uh, assuming it's going to be a Saints win but you never know and we will look ahead uh, to the Falcons uh, game 2 of the Falcons rivalry uh, on the Duncan Holder podcast so thanks for joining us on this edition of DNH on the Athletics podcast network